Good, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Y'all good? Yeah. It's always a good day when there's baptism in the house. It never, ever, ever, ever gets old. I love it. <clears throat> Get fired up. Anyway, it's a great day to be alive in Austin, Texas. Yeah. Texas had a bye yesterday, so I feel real good right now. Um, I want to begin the message this morning by asking you a question. What do you do when you feel stuck? What, what do you do? Where do you go? Who do you call? When you feel just kind of just stuck or stumped, stale or stagnated, how do you handle that? What, what do you do to get unstuck and unstumped? You know, in my wife's family, I kind of have a long-standing, hard-won reputation as the guy, but obviously I'm, you know, I'm the preacher in the family. I married Julie, all these kind of things. But, but my real call, claim to fame in Julie's family is I am most likely to not succeed, but most likely to get stuck in the mud somewhere when we gather for Christmas. When we're all out hunting, I, I just have a knack. It's really kind of a gift for getting vehicles, whether they be a truck, a tractor, an ATV, whatever, stuck in the mud. And it usually happens right around dinner time. As everybody else is back at the house, cleaned up, getting ready for dinner, sure enough, Uncle Mac will pick up the phone and have to call somebody, hey, I'm stuck again. There was a season of about four or five years, a few years back, where just every single year, I was always getting stuck. My brothers-in-law have pulled me out of knee-deep mud, freezing drizzle, you name it, they've pulled me out of it. And I've, I've gone through this process every single time that it's happened. I go through my list of options because believe me when I tell you, the last thing in the world you want to do when you're stuck is have to call your brother-in-law to come get you unstuck. Or even worse than your brother-in-law, your father-in-law. Hey, Joe, if you wouldn't mind getting the tractor and the chain, I'm stuck. It's, it's just terrible. Terrible. But that was kind of my, my reputation, my MO. And I kind of like to say, if you're not getting stuck, you're not trying hard enough. I mean, that, I just feel like that, that, if you're just always staying on paved roads, that's kind of a sissy way to go about things. But I did learn, sometimes you need help. Sometimes you need some help to get unstuck. For the last few weeks, we've been in this series called Faith Works, and if you're new today or you're just tuning in for the first time, we've been looking at how faith in Christ plays out, how it works out in the world. And we talked about last week the fact that there is a calling, a, a call on your life, a call on my life from God himself in this world in terms of what we are to be doing day in and day out. But isn't it really true that no matter how vibrant your faith may be at some points, how many mountaintop experiences you have, at some point or another, the day in and day out will in fact become kind of same old, same old. I, I have never met or heard of anyone who's followed Christ for more than 30 minutes who hasn't gotten to a place of being stuck. But the good news, the good news about the good news is that there is Always, say always. always. Say always like you mean it. Always. always. Always 
a way forward. There is always a way to be growing and not regressing, advancing and not retreating. There is always a way out of the mud, out of the, the muck and the mire. And that's what we're talking about today. But, and I want you to, to go back with me and pick up this idea of calling. The fact that there's a call from God on your life, like there's a call from God on my life, on, on the lives of anyone who follows Jesus. God has a calling for you. And it may be one of the most counterintuitive laws of life that when we get stuck, when we feel depleted, when the tanks are dry, one of the most, one of the most powerful ways to refill the tank is to take the calling from God on our lives and give it away and to, to genuinely pay it forward into the lives of the people around us. Because a lot of, when we get to that place and we're out of gas, we think, man, I just need to recharge. I just need to, I just need to be by myself. How many of us, when you get to that place, and I think especially over the last, what, 19, 20 months, haven't we been depleted more than a couple of times? And our, our natural instinct is to retreat, to withdraw. I know that's my natural reflex. But one of the things that God does is when we choose to pay this calling forward, when we choose to, to invest in the lives of the people around us, God uses that giving away of the calling to refuel and to replenish the fuel for our calling. It's an amazing dynamic that happens. If you think about it, you, you could call this call forwarding, where, where you're forwarding the call of God on your life into the lives of the people around you. Call forwarding just means that you, you give it away. Turn to your neighbor with a smile on your face and love in your heart. Tell him, give it away. Now, I don't mean that you surrender your calling. I don't mean that you forfeit it or... Or, or let somebody else take it and run with it. I mean that you choose to pay it forward. You choose to invest the call that God has placed on your life in the lives of the people around you, it, within your sphere of influence. Everybody has a sphere of influence. There, there are people around you. It may, be, it may be just your family right now. Maybe, maybe your sphere of influence is the world and you're a best-selling author. Whoever it is, wherever it is, God has a very, very specific, specific purpose to play in and through your life. This idea of call forwarding is where we are this week. This is, this is, this is how you get unstuck. Hebrews chapter 10 has an amazing paradigm for helping us get through those periods when we feel stuck, when we feel stale or stagnant. Go ahead and look up Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 23 and take a couple of verses that follow after that. But in Hebrews 10, 23, here, here's what the Bible says. I, I love this first little passage here. Verse 23, the Bible says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold unswervingly. Isn't that a great word? Unswerving. Say unswervingly. In the, in the original language of the New Testament, it means to hold fast without fail. That you hold fast. You, you stay the course of your calling. 
you hold fast. We talked last week about grit and how you choose grit over quit and those kind of things. And sometimes you just kind of have to, you just kind of have to pit bull the calling in your life. Remember we talked about that? Hold unswervingly. That means you don't turn to the left. You don't turn to the right. You, you hold unswervingly. This is the calling of God. Not because your calling is better than mine or because mine is better than yours, but because he who called us is faithful. The one who calls you into existence, the one who calls you into relationship with himself, the one who died on the cross and rose from the dead for the purposes of this relationship, because he who called you is faithful, hold on. Hold on and don't let go of the hope. How powerful a gift is hope. When, 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 we get to the, when our tanks are dry and we get to the end of our own rope, that's when we hang on to hope. When we hang on to the fact that because Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead, there is nothing beyond his power. There is nothing beyond the scope of the hope that he offers us. And so we hang on to that with everything that we have. Then, look at verses 24 and 25. Watch this. Here's what the Bible says. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching, the day being the day of Christ's return. So as we work toward, as we move toward, as we live toward the day when Jesus Christ will come back, man, we hang on to this hope. And in that hope, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now, there are four things in this passage that I want us to extract I want us to take out of here so that we can take out of here, so that we can walk out of here and put it into practice this week, so we can begin to orient our lives, not just in this week, but especially, especially in those seasons when we do, in fact, get stuck, when we get to those places where we just kind of feel like we're in the mud, like Pastor Mac at Christmas at his in-law's house where we get to that point where we're not sure where to go or what to do, we come back to call forwarding. We, call, we come back to paying it forward into the lives of the people around us. Four things. Number one, intentionalize your influence. Intentionalize your influence. You want to know something fun? There's no such word as intentionalize. I completely made that up, but I like it. I think intentionalize is a great verb. It means to, to put intentionality, to put deliberate, intentional thought into what you're doing. Intentionalize your influence. Every single person on the planet, which includes you, every single person has influence. Some have a lot, some have a little, but everybody has influence that God wants that God is calling us to exercise. But we have to intentionalize. We've got to be serious and get strategic about how we do that. What does it say? Let us consider how. 
Let's actually think about it. So think about your sphere of influence. Think about the people that you come in contact with, the people you talk to, you work with, you live with, you exchange emails or blog to. Intentionalize your influence. That means that you think about it, man. You, you step back and go, okay, God's given me this sphere of influence. They're, these are the people that he has put in my path. What does he want me to do with that? How does he want me to move his purposes, my calling forward in this world with the people that I influence? Isn't that an amazing thing? To think that God invites you, he calls you like he calls me to collaborate, to, to co-labor with him? So if it's, if it's that significant, and it is, then we ought to put some thought into it. We ought to step back and go, okay, how do I... How do I use this influence that he's given me? How do I make this happen? I think about Roger Blevins on our worship team. Man, dude has got some pipes. There was a moment down here where we were singing Graves in the Garden earlier in the service right after the baptism. For about that long, his pipes are so good, I thought I could sing. That's how good he is. But I think how great... How great for the kingdom, for the purposes of God, that Roger, like Derek, like Ashlyn, like Emily, that, that they are choosing to use their influence for the purposes of God. Now, most of you will never sing on this stage. Most of you should never sing on any stage. <laughs> but you do have influence that God wants to use. There, there are things that you can do that we can't do, that I can't do. And the, the people that you can touch the people that you can impact, the people where you can make a difference in their lives. Intentionalize your influence. When you get, when you get to that place where you're stuck, you, you may be there right now. Think about who you can influence and how you can go about doing that. It says, let us consider. That means that we put deliberate thought into how. How tells me I'm doing something. I'm not just kind of sitting around waiting for something good to happen. I love it when people say, we just want to let it happen organically. Organically. You know what organically means? It means I don't feel like working. I don't want to plan anything. I don't want to strategize anything. Be intentional. Be deliberate. Intentionalize your influence. Let us consider how, number two, provoke your people. Provoke your people. Let us consider how we may spur one another. We, we're going to spur each other. That, that word in the original Greek, the spur, is, is like the idea of a goad, of a prod, a cattle prod, really. <clears throat> but it's this idea that we're provoking people for the right reasons in the right way. We're, we're provoking people to move them forward. I think about when our, when our kids were, were very, very young. I remember Emily and Joseph, so funny. There, there were days, there were days when they can embarrass the dog out of you by their behavior. How many of you have ever been embarrassed by your children's behavior? Thank you for not leaving your pastor hanging on that. I appreciate it. I just remember thinking, there were a couple of times in particular, usually in, in, a, in a restaurant playground sitting, setting or situation, you know, Chick-fil-A or whatever, when you're at God's favorite restaurant, 
And you're at God's favorite restaurant with God's little gift who's acting like a terror from the bad place. You know what I'm talking about? And I just remember thinking, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you talking to me that way? I remember one time, Emily and, and Julie, my wife, were, were engaged in heated conversation. And, and, you know, sometimes as a parent, you kind of get to the end of your rope. And, and Julie goes, she just finally looked at Emily, who I think was about three, maybe four years old at the time, and said, why are you doing this to me? I've been there. I've, done, I've, I've thought the same thing. And we realized very early on with Emily and Joe that we had to, we had to get them to, to make good choices and to do the right thing, at least initially, for themselves. You know, when, when your kids are little, you can make them do whatever you want to do. Just, you know, you can put them in a closet and, you know, check on them every hour or two. But, but as they grow up, they turn 10, 12, 15, then they can do pretty much whatever they feel like doing. So hopefully, prayerfully, you've made it already worth their while to see why choosing the right thing is the right thing and why it'll work out best for them. I remember telling Emily, Emily, yes, you can lie to daddy, but I always, always find out and it will cost you. So I put it in terms that she could understand, but along the way I helped I started showing her, I started showing Joe, Julie started showing them, this is why we make these choices. We want you to do this for your life. Joe, if you grow up lying, for example, your life will unravel. This, this is not a long-term solution for you. I want, I want better for you. Yes, I'm irritated with you that you chose to lie to me, but I'm irritated because of what I know it means for you later on. You see, we start provoking them we start provoking them to the right thing for the right reasons, and we teach and explain why. Same thing's true in any other relationship that we have. We're, we're provoking people in the right way for the right reasons. Emily said something to me a few years ago that I, I'll never forget. She said, Dad, she's, she was out of college, living on her own, you know, paying her own bills and all that kind of good stuff, and she said, Dad... I didn't always like what you told me to do or not to do, but I did always know that you and mom were telling me for my own best interests. I was like, well, that's right. I thought, you know, at least once I did something right. You know, as a parent, we think all the time about the mistakes that we made. Our children, the people around us that we influence have to know they have to know that we have their best interests at heart. They have to know that we love them. Now, if, I, if you're thinking about like, well, what about at work? I can't just walk in and say, hey, I love you. That's a lawsuit waiting to happen. Right, you can't, but you can act like it. You can actually care about that person and their development as people more than you care about the bottom line along the way to the bottom line. So we provoke our people. We, we intentionalize our influence, we provoke our people. And number three, number three, th this, is, 
This is where you, it, it starts to get really, really, really fun because you direct your drive. Direct your drive. As you provoke them, direct where you're provoking them. Let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds. Love and good deeds. We're, we're directing this as we're doing it. We say, listen, we're, we're, we're doing something bigger than ourselves. We're about something bigger than just the bottom line. We're about something bigger than just you or just me. We're directing this drive because of love and actual good deeds. We're, we're, we're helping them to see the why behind the what. Buck Brannaman is a, is a world-renowned horseman. He's actually, he's, he's an actual horse whisperer. He was the inspiration and the role model for the book that became the movie, The Horse Whisperer. Some of you may remember that from about 70 years ago. And Buck Brannaman is a fascinating cat. He grew up in a day and an age where he saw cowboys really, really breaking horses. They, they would break their spirit, you know, tie them to a snubbing post, beat them down, whip them so that they could be rideable. This was breaking horses. And because of his exposure to that and because of a really, really tough childhood, Buck decided to take a different tack in training horses. Matter of fact, there was a documentary made about his life. The documentary is just simply titled Buck. I highly if you want to watch The Horse Whisperer, that's fine, but do not miss the documentary Buck. It was made in 2011. It is the best 88 minutes that you will ever spend watching a movie. If you are a parent, if you are a leader in the marketplace, if you're a manager, if you are a student, you really ought to watch the documentary Buck. But Buck decided that instead of beating down and breaking down the horse's spirit, there had to be a way to, to come alongside the animal and still get them to do what you want them to do. Still, still, you know, make them rideable, per se, but also not break their spirit along the way. Here, here's what Buck Brandeman says about horses, but see if this doesn't apply to directing your drive as well. He says, you can be a leader without being intimidating. The horse can be your partner without being your slave. I'm trying to keep the best part of the horse in there. I'm not trying to take anything away from him. What if, what if we only chose to elect political leaders who were not trying to take anything away from us? What if we only elected, what if we only settled for people of high character? What if we decided this would be our requirement for holding public office? What if we had people who were more interested in the public good than their own private enlargement? Just what if? What if they directed their drive to the best interests of you and me? What if they actually had character? It's a staggering thought, isn't it? Here's the great thing. We decide. 
You decide. I decide. And we don't, we don't decide that, okay, I'll vote for him because it's not her. Or I'll vote for him because she's not him. But we say, you know what? Enough's enough. Enough is enough. If somebody does a lot of good things with policy, but they are a complete amoral human being, I'm not voting for that. I'm not going to endorse that personally. If somebody is a good, good person, but they have policies that run counter to scripture, that, that, that denigrate human life, I'm not voting for that. I'm only going to settle for high character and high competence. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Direct your drive. We spur people. We provoke them to love and good deeds. Remember what Paul said? Remember what Paul said? Paul said, if I speak with the tongues of angels and men, if I know all of the mysteries and profundities of God himself, but I have not love, I'm just a, a clanging Gong. I'm a noisy symbol. Nobody wants that by itself. We direct that drive. I thought this week with the passing of Colin Powell, it was a great reminder of somebody who led from a place of character and principle, who made mistakes, who supported people maybe I didn't support or you didn't support, but this was a person who apologized when he was wrong, admitted when he was wrong. Golly, how we could use somebody like that in the office he refused to seek. It'd be amazing, wouldn't it? But, but for you and me, for where we live day in and day out, to direct our drive, to... to Choose to influence people toward love and good deeds. Man, that's, that's, that's where the sweet stuff lies. I, I thought about the people being baptized here this morning. I, I, we may not know all of the details of their story, but we do all know this. Someone, someone, somewhere chose to direct them toward Christ. Someone, somewhere told them that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, chose to die for them, for the forgiveness of their sins, so that they could be forgiven, and, and that he rose again. Just like they came up out of the water today, they, that he rose again with the promise of new life. Somebody chose to do that for them. If you're a follower of Christ, somebody chose to do that for you. Who will you do that for? Who, who in your life is that person that you know who doesn't yet know how extravagantly God loves them? Direct your drive. Direct your drive. Now, I told you there were four things we were going to take out of this. Number four, choose your church. Choose your church. I don't mean pick one. Although you should do that if you're a follower of Christ. It's kind of, I go here, I go there. Pew, 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 pew. 
That means you're accountable nowhere. That means you have zero commitment to a family of faith. I'm not talking about that. That's a whole other sermon series. Rather, I'm saying what Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says. Choose your church. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Man, when the coronavirus came to our shores in March of 2020, and we closed the doors of the church. You, you could not meet as a church. That was a crazy time. How grateful we are that it happened in 2020 when we still had, when we had online resources available. We could stay connected in that way. It was a great, great gift. But man, isn't it true how quickly our habits can change? I have to tell you this, in complete, complete candor, there were a couple of Sundays during quarantine where I looked at Julie and I went, you know what? I like this. I, I don't mind going to church in my PJs. Just keeping it real. And then about two or three weeks in, I looked at Julie and I went, uh-oh. If we're liking it, nobody's coming back. <laughs> now, obviously, to... Those who are here in the room, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. You, you, are, you have not given up the habit. Way to go. Yeah, give yourself a round. That's good. I like it. <laughs> Encouraging one another all the more as we see the day approaching. But, but I think even for those of us who are here in the room, if you're online, man, we're so glad that you are. I mean that with everything I have. But I think we need to remember why God went to the trouble of putting this in the Bible. Why would God say, don't give up meeting together? Five things I want to just run through real quick. I'm going to put them on the screen. You don't have to write them all down. You can just take a picture at the end of number five. Okay? Five things to think about. Number one, community worship connects us to the mission of Christ. When we come into worship together in the same room, we're reconnected to the mission of Christ. It reminds us that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. Our purpose is the church, as the church. Number two, community worship reminds us we're not alone. It's encouraging. Before the service this morning, I walked through the nursery and just kind of said hi and just walked by and said thank you to the volunteers who are back there with your children. Uh, yeah, amen, give it up. But you know what? A funny thing happened on the way through the nursery this morning. As I was encouraging them, they encouraged me. I was like, look at these people. All of them trained and equipped, background checked. And they're here providing a home for these kids to teach these children from the earliest age they get dropped off, this is someplace you want to be. I was just like, I like those people. I want to be more like those people. Pretty cool. Number three, children's and student ministry builds spiritual muscle memory for a lifetime. Children's ministry, student ministry builds spiritual muscle memory for a lifetime. When your kids are a part of the church, the body of Christ, they are a part of the only thing that will see them through from the cradle to the grave. 
There's not another club. There's not another group. There's not another team. There is nothing that will see your children through their lifetime. And, and I believe me, I understand. I remember, man, who early on when our kids were young and little, if I, if I thought we had online church, <laughs> I'd have been tempted. But I don't want to cheat the children, the church. I don't want to cheat the children of the church. I want children, students, to develop that muscle memory where they say, I'm a part of this. And that can not, will not happen online. It won't. You, you can't do that online. I don't care how engaged you are as a grown-up online. Your kids are not. I know, mine are different. They're gifted and talented. No, they're not. Not that gifted and talented. And again, I'm all for what online provides. But, but online is, is kind of nebulous. How engaged are you? are you? Are you like the whole family worshiping and you're there? Are you, you know, in the kitchen mixing mimosas while the sermon's happening? <laughs> I'm just saying. But don't cheat children and students of the church. Don't let them miss what God has for them being a part of this. And let me just tell you this. There is zero guilt or shame attached to what I'm saying. Zero. I want this for you and your kids. I have seen the difference the church makes in the lives of kids. You are a massive part of the reason that my children love Jesus and love his church because you let them grow up in this community of faith. I've seen it happen. And I want it so badly. But, but you got to make it a priority. You have to choose church. Tell me what's more important in the lives of your kids. Well, they're four years old. We're going to be in a t-ball travel team this summer. They're four. Take them out back. Number four. Corporate preaching unites the church. Corporate preaching unites the church around sound doctrine. There are some incredible, incredible resources available online, books that are great. There's also some that's not great. When we come together in this place, in this space, we're united around sound doctrine, a commitment to the Word of God. And that's important, and it does unite us. Number five, community worship and preaching feeds the soul uniquely. Community preaching, community worship, as a family of faith, feeds the soul uniquely. Man, when we're in this space and you hear the worship ringing from the rafters, there's nothing like it. I don't care how well you sing in your car driving down the road. There is nothing like being in the room where it happens. In the room where it happens. Intentionalize your influence. Provoke your people. Direct your drive and choose your church. It's call forwarding. It's call forwarding. 
Because sometimes we get stuck. Sometimes we get stumped, stale, stagnant. It happens. But when it happens, forward your calling. Give it away. Go invest in somebody else's life for the sake of eternity. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And this morning, we're going to close a little differently than we normally do. In this moment, I want to invite you to prayerfully ask, ask God to guide your thoughts. As you think about your sphere of influence, the people you know, maybe in your family, maybe at work, maybe where you work out, And I want to ask you to think about three people that you know who don't yet know how extravagantly God loves them. Just three people. And make yourself a list. Those three people I want to ask you, I want to challenge you to consider to intentionalize your influence in their lives and consider how you could spur them on, how you could provoke them for the right reasons in the right way to follow Christ. Maybe to invite them to church. Maybe, maybe here as we're heading toward the end of October, you could be thinking about somebody to invite to a Christmas service. Maybe it's somebody that you need to have just a cup of coffee with and just ask them how they are doing. But those three names I want you to prayerfully consider And pray for them by name. Pray that God will open up an opportunity for you and an opportunity for the gospel in their lives. In this moment, if you are here today, or maybe you're watching online, and you have never crossed the line of faith, you've never stepped over that line of faith to personally and definitively follow Christ. As a church, right now, we wanna give you the opportunity to do that. To begin a relationship with Christ, just praying right where you're sitting, silently talking from your heart to God's, just to say something like this, just say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. I know and I believe that you died on the cross for me. I know and I believe that you rose from the dead 
And so I confess my sin to you, holding nothing back in order to claim and receive your forgiveness, your grace. And Jesus, I will follow you from this moment forward. I pray this prayer in your name. I want to ask you to just remain with your heads bowed for another moment. If that was your prayer, and this is the greatest moment of your life. And as a church, we want to help with what's next. If you are watching online, there's a place to indicate there that you've made this commitment to Christ. If you'll just let us know that, we can get some of these helps and resources to you. If you're here in the room, and you're surrounded by people who want to help. Nobody's going to show up at your doorstep or anything. You don't worry about it. But we would ask that you would give us the privilege of, of coming alongside and helping with what's next because this is just the beginning for you spiritually. As you exit in just a moment at the hub underneath the big front porch out there, just let somebody know there, today was my day. Ever so quickly, if you would, as, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed for just another sacred moment more, if that was your prayer today, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up in the air as a statement physically of the commitment spiritually that you just made. And know that as a family with you, we celebrate that, we honor that with you. And our family tradition around here is that we, as you put your hands down, we're going to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.